0: Welcome to the Time Shifters Podcast. I'm your host, Christopher. This podcast takes a fun look at the films of long past, recent past, and the almost present, as well as the events and news surrounding them. I would love to hear from you, and there are several ways to get in touch with the show. Look for the Time Shifters Podcast group on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at TimeShiftersPod, or you can send us a typed or recorded message to TimeShiftersPodcast at gmail.com. If you haven't already, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, iHeart Radio, and please check us and our fellow podcasters out over on podchaser.com. Please rate and review the show at any of these outlets. All these links can be found on timeshifterspodcast.com. Now let's head to the Timeshifter studio and start the show. Everyone, welcome back to Time Shifters. I am here with Tom. Tom, how you doing? Good, how are you, sir? Just fine. Here, wait, Tom, listen. Yeah? There's no one else here.
1: Oh my god. <laughs>
0: it's just it's just you and I. This hasn't happened for months. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is just the two of us this time. Uh, no guests with us, no giant... Uh, the Black Hole was quite the undertaking. It was all five of us there. Uh, ended up being a really fun episode. Uh, you, know, you, me, and Floyd had a really great time talking Event Horizon last time. Um, but uh, yeah, I thought it was time to maybe just settle down a little bit, maybe for a week. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and just have the two of us. Give it a day or so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, it has been, boy, a crazy two weeks for myself, but... Uh, just personally, uh, news wise, there hasn't been a whole heck of a lot. Has there been anything popping up in, on like your world that you've,
1: um, other than the stuff that just comes up uh, about things coming up, uh, like in, <clears throat> in the things that I enjoy, uh, there is a, uh, new trailer going around for the, uh, upcoming Transformers series that will be on Netflix. Uh, trailer looks oh, very promising. Um, and you get lots of the classic voices back, but it looks like it's going to be far more serious than any of the animated series has ever done before.
0: Oh, cool. And this will build. this will be an animated series? Yes,
1: uh, it's in the anime, but CGI style. So, okay. yeah, it's uh, uh, long on detail. Um, so, and... It's clear that it looks like Peter Cullen is back as Optimus, uh, but it gets very heady about uh, the uh, nature of war and what it does to their home world.
0: Gotcha. Sweet. Yeah.
1: No, it looks promising, but apparently there's going to be a bit of a wait before it comes out.
0: Speaking of series, I just saw a news story. I don't know how much information there is going to be about this, but... CBS is going to develop yet another Star Trek series. Yes. And apparently this one's going to follow uh, Pike and the Enterprise.
1: Oh, nice. Okay. I, I, I yeah, haven't caught that yet. I, I saw that there was a series, but I didn't read into it further. Um, mm-hmm, yeah, no, mm-hmm. that should be interesting. Um, uh, I, I really enjoyed Pike from the uh, the second season of Discovery.
0: Yeah, apparently they're, they're coming up with, they've got Star Trek, like a, a series based on their Section 31. Yep. I saw that Which are developing. Uh, The animated series, Star Trek Lower Decks. Yep. Which which is going to be on uh, Nickelodeon. I think that's supposed to be sort of a uh, comedic, sort of tongue-in-cheek sort of thing. Yep. But yeah, apparently they're also working on a series revolving around Captain Pike and the crew of the Enterprise. So... Interesting, so he's going on another five-year mission, so oh, I guess he gets to do two new five-year missions, <laughs> which, which actually may be canon. I think maybe that was the case of going back into, like, old enter- Enterprise, you know, Star Trek canon. I want to say Pike did indeed do two five-year missions, so...
1: That could be. Um, I, I, I'd i be, actually, the, the second season of Discovery was a lot better for me than the first, Um had its problems, I
0: really didn't care for their portrayal of Spock at all. Um, That's one of the things that got me worried about this, is if you're going to have, it's going to have to be Pike and Spock. Right. And it's like, boy, I hope they write Spock better than they did in in Discovery.
1: Yeah, no, he was... Or else
0: that's really going to turn me off.
1: Yeah, no, he was so not himself at all. But, I mean, that was a little bit part of the point. So, um, it was the driver for that particular season is what's bugging him is also this, this motive to do everything that they've done. But,
0: um, yeah. And it could be cast with completely different actors too. I mean, everyone would really like to see Anson Mount back and he's said he'd be willing to, but his contract has technically expired with CBS. So they would have to rework a new contract if they actually wanted to bring him back. I don't, I think people would be on board for this. If it's his Captain Pike, right? I would be on board for it. If it's his Captain Pike,
1: I would be happy to give it a shot. And uh, me being the the engineering dork that I am, and all that, um, I really did like their version of the Enterprise, the original series Enterprise. I yeah. I don't have to see like the plastic ship of the sixties. I can go ahead and suspend my disbelief that. This is actually what it looked like when we were seeing the big plastic one in the 60s.
0: (laughs) Yeah. All right. Fair enough. I've watched season two. And yeah, where I will say I liked it better than season one of Discovery, I still didn't love it. And there's just a lot that really bothers me about their... This universe, whatever universe this is, it still kind of annoys me a little bit. And while if that was the only enterprise I had ever seen, I probably would think, oh yeah, that's awesome, but it's it's not, you know? <laughs> so so I I still can't I have a hard time just doing what you were saying. I just can't shake, you know, what was that easily.
1: Uh, see, I I, I I liked their interpretation and then of course, I, I know what you're saying too because uh, um, while I liked the original series, that still wasn't like mine. Um, when I really got on board, it was the movies. Um, and interestingly enough, uh, just uh, just before we started this uh, on one of the epics channels, they were showing Star Trek the Motion Picture. again, can be a bit of a tough watch, but I love that ship so much. That's kind mm-hmm. of my Enterprise.
0: Yeah, understood. No, I get you. No, I. I mean, I was raised on original series, right. so it, that's always going to have a special place in my heart. Absolutely, uh, the movies are fantastic. Uh, there's only a few that I just kind of discount and uh, don't and skip. <laughs> <laughs> uh and and then next gen I mean when i'm I was a, a young adult when next generation came around, right. and so that was definitely my go to it
1: is still is mine, yeah, definitely,
0: probably one of the ones that's the most easiest to just sit and watch because all what happens to be on kind of thing
1: yeah, and interestingly enough uh, uh i'm i've only seen the first of the Picard series um because I haven't bothered to get a CBS All Access or find some other means to watch any more than the one that they made available to the public everywhere. Right. But one of the comments that I saw that I really found interesting from just fan fans giving feedback is they miss that episodic um, standard for Star Trek, the idea that you can watch a single episode you get your story and you walk away um yeah the the long form uh storytelling that picard is doing is putting a few fans off because while they yeah no it might be nice to get the character development and build a long-term story sometimes you just want your little piece of cake and walk it away
0: yeah no i completely understand that i have been watching picard uh, that premiere episode blew me away, and uh, I was like, "Okay, yeah, I'll watch the next episode." And I think all the episodes since have been okay. They that they, they hit it out of the park with that premiere, right. and it was kind of like, "Well, you simply can't live up to that." <laughs> <laughs>
1: you know? Set the standard but too high too fast.
0: <laughs> they really did. Uh, but it, it's been okay. But I'm I'm I've reached the point I had like a. Um, a trial and a free month. Yeah. And so now I'm kind of like, okay, do I go ahead and spring for at least one month so I can at least finish the series or do I just let it cancel and just pick it up on you know DVD or right. something from the library <laughs> down the road? <laughs> not sure. And well, in the episodes, while they've been interesting, I've reached that point where like, yeah, but they're not as good as that. If they're all as awesome as that premiere was, I'd be paying for right. it. Uh but but it's like uh it's interesting, but I could I could live without it.
1: Well, interestingly enough though, I did see that uh CBS All Access has gone out of its way to make sure the entire Star Trek universe is in there. Um
0: Yep. Every series is now up on the app.
1: The series, the movies, supposedly it's all available. So Yeah. I have not checked that out, but that's one good way to get people to get in there but then again you can get all of that on a whole bunch of other streaming services
0: yeah i was gonna say they have a, amazon prime has several seasons they did have a lot of next gen and the uh, the movies and i think even maybe some of the original series available unless that's recently changed i haven't checked because you know it's kind of one of these things like well i've got it on the shelf over there so i don't need to (laughs) (laughs) no uh, i'm not reliant on the streaming service but
1: no uh interestingly enough no it's uh it appears to still be on amazon and on netflix i'm sure it's a couple other locations and that's including movies and all that it it's everywhere so they haven't like pulled back to make themselves exclusive yet
0: but those may be just a matter of waiting for the contracts to expire
1: that very well could be
0: i should say original series i have on the shelf i don't have next gen on the shelf i kind of would like to it's right. just that's you know that's quite the investment <laughs> to get the it, i'd love to get those blu-rays it but did
1: have a hearty run <laughs> So yeah, that would be quite the investment.
0: Go back to what uh, you know Floyd was talking last time, you got to hit the, the that lucky day at half price books and <laughs> <Find them. laughs> Well, it's only $75 instead of $175. <laughs> yeah.
1: Or if you have to go in there and buy them by season, come on, number 3.
0: Great. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, aside from Picard and such, I've been watching a little bit of this and that. Um I've been slowly, uh, not too far, maybe a couple years ago, I went through and watched all the Resident Evil films. Yeah, uh, in order, and that that was a lot of fun. I actually, while some of the movies aren't fantastic, it's still a fun series. It really is.
1: Well, and uh, I mean, Mila Jovovich is just fun to watch in almost anything, almost no matter how bad.
0: (laughs) Right, and it was matter one of those things where I saw like the first three or so. And then I kind of lost track of them and it wasn't. And so this was an opportunity to like, okay, I'm going to rewatch the ones I've watched and now I can finally watch the ones I hadn't watched. So I watched all, whatever, was there six, seven films, whatever there is on it.
1: Yeah. God, I lost (laughs) track.
0: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So that was a lot of fun. So I thought, you know what? I should do that with underworld, with the underworld series. Uh, This one, I haven't been as good about, uh, getting to it, it's, I, I, I watch one, and then it seems like it takes me weeks before I get around to watching another, and then months before watching another. Uh, but finally, got, I'm up to the, I think it's the second to the last film, Underworld Awakening, I, I just watched. Okay. Which was one I hadn't seen before. I only saw, apparently, I only saw the first two films prior to my watching this series again. I think I've only
1: seen the first two ever. Um, or, And if I... Th- caught anymore the problem for me is they all end up kind of looking like the same film
0: a little bit and that's kind of what i've noticed the first film i think is really i'd call it underrated i think it's uh it's a it's a fun film it kind of builds this real interesting universe a lot of practical effects a lot of practical werewolf and and vampire you know and like lots of good wire work fight scenes and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, the second film carries through most of that starts throwing in a little bit of the CG. The third film goes a lot more CG and then completely eliminates cat Kate, be- Kate Beckinsale yeah. goes back in time. And for some reason they thought, Oh, I think everyone would be really interested to see about the werewolf and the vampire and how they got their start. Like, no. no, no, we really weren't interested in that. So I did see number We were interested in Kate three. Beckinsale.
1: Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, Kate Beckinsale in that tight pleather outfit. <laughs> I mean, what? I,
0: they know what they're doing. <laughs> yes. So by the time we get to Underworld Awakening, Kate is back. Yes. Smartly. And they also kind of leave, They they stop building up on the mythology it's every film they just kind of like oh more mythology more mythology more to the story more to the story i'm like whoa could you (laughs) stop already because now you've got so much they end up with a character uh and i guess it was the second film that is apparently like the father of both races and he's he's god knows how many you know thousands of years old and it's like wow that's an interesting character you don't explain him whatsoever and by the end of the movie he's dead after like maybe 20 minutes of screen time oh jeez <laughs> okay you know and then they just keep piling it on and then they sort of undo some of the stuff they just did in the film before and by piling on more mythology and like so by the time they get to this fourth film that's kind of settled down whatever happened happened fine great here's just this adventure kind of thing and uh, yeah, it's better, but yeah, it's a lot more reliant on the c g i which is a little no, disappointing, yeah no,
1: when you get stuff like that, practical effects as is, is uh those are where the the love is it feels like it's really there, right, especially if you're gonna do werewolves,
0: speaking of uh you know a woman running around kicking ass, <laughs> there's a film I saw it came up in Amazon prime, one of those you. you you you, you like might this. like kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. I thought maybe I would. So I added to my watch list. Well, that was like a month ago, month and a half ago. I finally got around to watching something called Valentine Dark Avenger. Interesting. And it's a let me pull this up. It's an Indonesian flick. And it's about a uh, a movie producer, a guy trying to get the trying to sell a movie. He's trying to sell a movie about this female superhero. And none of the none of the film companies will buy it. So he decides as a PR stunt to hire a girl and have her actually go out and fight a little crime to, in order to build up, you know, a little bit of uh, uh, PR momentum and everything. So now he can go. So then he'd be able to go to the studio and, and sell this movie. And, of course, she kind of finds that the crime fighting or whatever is kind of her thing. Uh <laughs> And she turns into a real life, like, you know, vigilante crime fighter. Oh, wow. And that. it's actually, I mean, it's done real small budget. Uh, it's got a really good cast. I'd love to actually find a copy of this film in the original uh, language, because you could tell it was dubbed. And so... Right. While the the voices are okay i'd really like to find one in the, the original language so this might be a, a hunt to like for a, a good blu-ray or dvd or something if i can dig one up
1: find that and find something with a proper uh translation so that you just read it in subtitle yeah
0: exactly yeah, yeah. yeah. but it ended up being a lot more enjoyable than i was expecting it to be i really thought it was going to be sort of a real kind of pedestrian almost made for tv remember back in the 90s when you had like what was the uh, nightman and uh, scorpion and you know that kind of, those kind of oh, things yeah. no that's really what i was expecting and it was it was much better than that i mean it wasn't like avengers level no. <laughs> you know, kind of superhero stuff but it was it was not bad and it some really good fight scenes uh, maybe a little over long because they're trying to make a motion picture and what's a what's a better way to stretch out the runtime than have that fight go just a little bit longer you know
1: (laughs) no i'll have to check that one out and i really like that uh that different premise that acknowledgement that hey superheroes are the way to go so i want to i'm gonna generate this interest and then i end up actually making a superhero that's actually pretty cool (laughs) i like that
0: and they And it's kind of fun because when she starts out, it's almost like a little, uh, almost Spider-Man-esque. She starts out, she's just kind of in a a purple hoodie and a bad cloth mask. And they keep kind of making her outfit a little bit better (laughs) every time she goes out. You know, it's like, I liked it. It was good.
1: Speaking of outfits uh, and and kind of news that's going around, though, lately, uh, have you seen anything around the Batman Bat suit.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, you know what? I'm glad you mentioned that because I was going to bring that up to you as well. Yeah, you know, if you'd seen that, uh, I'm assuming it's going to look better on screen.
1: I'm going to have to hope. I fundamentally, the suit. I don't have so much of a problem with. Uh, it's v- very reminiscent of the one uh, uh, that was in the uh, Dark Knight series uh, for Chris Nolan's mm. Batman uh, back when he figured out that maybe the cowl shouldn't be attached to the. So the rest of this Um but let him turn
0: his head. Yeah,
1: yeah. I'd like to turn my head. Um, but uh, again, I'm, I'm trying not to be too judgmental. I get that it's uh, it's another take on Batman. You're allowed to have other takes. Uh, it, by their nature, uh, I find it funny when people want to get all wrapped up into, um, well, this movie versus that movie versus that. The, the comic books have done that for decades. They're always changing and evolving based on the artists and the writers and all that. And that's part of the fun of the characters. You get to take kind of a baseline and then run with it for your story. So not going to judge because it's a Pattinson and, uh, and all of that. Um, But um, those really pointy ears on the cow, like, Needle. Oh, I didn't even notice. Oh, I, 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 I. Of course, me being a Batman guy, I was looking at it up and down, and I just noticed he could, he could kill a man by just butting their <laughs> head with them. They're just so sharp and so f- needle. Uh, point. Well,
0: like you, like you said, you go back to the comics, man. They've been everything from just a little little nubs on the side to the giant spikes, you oh, know, yeah. that are like a foot off his head. So.
1: <laughs> that and then the, that um, bat bike uh, the, basically just a dirt bike with a little bit of a cowl looked, on the front I'm like,
0: yes it did look a little underwhelming I think someone compared it to the uh, was it 1970 1980's Captain America made for TV movie <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay that that might be pushing it a little far that was pretty <laughs> cheesy um, but no uh, reading some of uh, what people have been posting uh, it, apparently this is going to it's getting a lot of influence from like Batman year one kind of stuff. So his early days, his uh, entry right. into being Batman.
0: Right. So he's, he's not going to have the super duper bike. He's going to have something he bought off the you know, and just painted black. Uh, right.
1: Absolutely. He Just got it together. But then again, you know, this is Bruce Wayne. He does have, yeah. Well, he does have resources.
0: <laughs> that's true.
1: <laughs> you would think he might spiff it up a little bit.
0: Now, the last thing that I've, uh, I've watched that I wanted to mention, it, only because this film, it's kind of one of these things I, it's a film that I forget how much I enjoy this film until I watch it again. It's a 1966 kind of uh, monster horror film called Island of Terror. Okay. Starting Peter Cushing and Edward Judd. Okay. This is the one, I don't know if you've seen this one or not. This is the one that's got like the, the these weird creatures that look like giant gray ravioli. <laughs> It's really the best way to describe it.
1: Gray ravioli. Uh, I find uh, any gray ravioli rather terrifying. (laughs) So sure. Why not?
0: It's a really, I would strongly recommend checking this, this film out. If you haven't already seen it, it's science run amok, you know, researchers trying to cure cancer, you know, things go awry. They're doing it on an Island off the coast of Ireland. The only way to get to this Island is either by boat or by plane. And of course, neither of which are available when (laughs) when everything hits the fan (laughs) and these creatures that have been created are they call them silicates they are based you know these silicon based life forms are almost impervious to like everything that they can throw at them and what's worse is if they get a hold of you they can liquefy and suck all the bone out of your body
1: that sounds terrifying and if they look like gray ravioli, and you're stuck without marinara, what are your what is your recourse?
0: <laughs> exactly. See, there you go. It it sounds silly. I know when you, that description of a creature is sounds ridiculous, but it's actually a really effective horror film, uh, directed by Terrence Fisher, uh, which him and Peter Cushing, they're a fantastic team up really recommend the film maybe we'll have to get a, a watch it and actually uh talk about it here on the cast if you've never seen it before because i would strongly recommend
1: it no that sounds that sounds like something right up my alley and um and it's making me hungry just thinking about it
0: <laughs> it's actually a film i remember catching when i was uh, catching on television when i was a kid really and it was yeah and it was it was just an image i had the image of one of these creatures and someone going at it with an axe and for decades i didn't know what the heck this movie was it was just this image i had in my head of one of these creatures and it wasn't you know it wasn't until the days of the internet where you go onto a forum and say like, you know i remember this movie and this happened and it was like i swear it looked like a ravioli and somebody's like oh island of terror <laughs> like oh let me check and you know you get a copy you know from the library or whatever and like and, oh my god that's the film I need to get a hold of the Blu-ray. It was just recently released on Blu-ray by Shout Factory, I think. Okay, yeah. And I definitely think I need to get a hold of the Blu-ray and add it to the physical collection.
1: That's pretty cool. No, I I, we, yeah. I definitely want to check that out, and that could make for some fun conversation. If I've got yeah. this going on with the whole Italian thing just over <laughs> just over your description, I can't wait to see them. <laughs> yeah.
0: So what has been keeping you busy in your entertainment world?
1: In my entertainment world, aside from the film that we'll be discussing here shortly, uh, um, I have been in Vince Gilligan land, um, better known as Breaking Bad, uh, his follow-up to the series Breaking Bad, the movie El Camino, and then the follow-up series to Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul. Um, Nice. Okay. This is a series of TV that I didn't catch the first time that they were on, and everyone always said that, you know, it's just, it's really amazing, you should really watch it. Um, But I've never been into that kind of a drug culture kind of films uh, with uh, mafia or whatever version of that there is, so those have not been the things that I get drawn to, but... Went ahead and gave this a shot, and I ended up consuming all of Breaking Bad, that movie, and um, the entire run of Better Call Saul up to the series premiere that just started their fifth season um, on Sunday night. Uh, I consumed all of that in the past, like, month and a half.
0: <laughs> Holy cow. Wow.
1: Yeah, that was a lot of TV <laughs> and all that.
0: Yeah, no kidding.
1: Um, But... It, Vince Gilligan is just amazing in his storytelling, his uh, character development, his attention to detail, um, just the way an episode of any of them could start and show one little element that maybe in the future of that episode, or even a couple of episodes down the road, but... Everything that he puts on the screen is significant and important. And then just the layers of things going on. You, you get so wrapped up into it. It's why I consumed it all that fast. I really wanted to see the next one and the next one. I can't imagine actually having watched this. <laughs> on regular television, one, and then getting to the one se- week at a time. Yeah, a week at a time, or even worse, you get to the cliffhanger of whatever happened at the season finale, and you gotta wait a year. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> I do <done>
1: murdered somebody. <laughs> the stuff is that yep. good. I, like I'm just so glad I finished a Better Call Saul just in time for the fifth season to start. I'll nice. I'll start watching it, but uh, at once I. I do. I'm going to be mad when the season ends, and if he's going to get a sixth season, which I do not know yet, I will be terrified. I've I got to wait another year to see more. <laughs>
0: Well, you're definitely not alone in the Vince Vince Gilligan fandom. There's a, definitely a lot of people out there with you. Matt was a, a huge fan of the show as well. My wife is a big fan. Uh, she watched all of Breaking Bad. Uh, you know, she's I think she's watched the first few seasons of Better Call Saul. I think she fell off and she hasn't uh, got the fourth season. I guess. And so, actually, I don't shouldn't shouldn't say I'm not positive, but I'm pretty sure she didn't catch the fourth season. It is one, Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. They're a series that, you know, when my wife started watching them, I tried to sit and watch with her, and for whatever reason, it just didn't pull me in. Uh, It was one of these weird things. It's kind of like, I look at it like I recognize great writing. I recognize great acting. I recognize interesting characters. I mean, all the elements are there, but it's like yeah, I'm going to go read or, uh, yeah, I just, I, it didn't pull me in. I, I just, maybe like yourself where you're just saying, it's just, it's not my world. I don't know. If I'm not interested in, in this, right? I, I don't know what it was, but, um, yeah, there's everything about it that says this is going to be really interesting. You're really going to get pulled in and then you are going to like this. And it just, it didn't work for me.
1: I highly encourage maybe a revisit at some point, like, I mm-hmm. tried it a couple of times and it's one of those if you can't if you can't burn through them, like I remember w- trying to give Breaking Bad a shot when the, the very first season came out, but you had to get invested in order to watch that. and if you the the whole the lapse in time, I needed to see that as a binge more than mm-hmm. one at a time. I think it would wear on me after a while that way
0: it's definitely something that could happen. We've got the Breaking Bad series on DVD. Um so it would be, you know, an easy watch and we brought the uh first few seasons of Better Call Saul, you know, home from the library. So that's they're easy to get a hold of and and do just that and do all the binging and everything. So perhaps someday I know she was like, "You know what I would really like is if maybe you sat down and went think yeah. <laughs> that's not really what I want to give you for your birthday, but sure, okay. Um i i bought you card (laughs) (laughs) and
1: and i'll say something that might be well i don't know if at this point it's that controversial but i've actually found i think better call saul is the superior um show to even Hmm. breaking bad i just find that i really enjoy that one a whole lot
0: well maybe a case it may be a case of someone kind of getting more comfortable with the type of story he's telling by the time you get up to something like better call Saul, yeah. you know, breaking bad was kind of the, uh, he was, you know, that was his exercise, I guess.
1: <laughs> well, in breaking bad practice, had, breaking bad had that ability that, you know, if it, if you weren't sure how you were feeling about it, well, there was going to be some violence. Um, and better call Saul doesn't lean on that. It doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily have that. It, it's really the dynamic between the characters. And the, and it actually gets a little bit of advantage from the fact that you are working... Like, I don't know quite how to put this. When you're talking about watching a prequel, which Better Call Saul is, it's a prequel to the Breaking Bad series, um, sometimes it's nice to know where you're going to end up. Um, in this case, knowing that this is where you're going to get to, um, you find yourself openly arguing with the screen to tell, uh, the actual character is Jimmy, not, mm-hmm. he, he changed his name to Saul. Um, but you find yourself literally arguing with him to not go down the road that you know he will. Right. <laughs> so, it, <laughs> So yeah. it, it's this, you know, you're going to watch a man spiral into not his best of days, but the watching him along the journey is so worth it. Mm-hmm. So,
0: yeah, you just you're constantly hoping, can we do an alternate universe where he turns left instead of right? Yeah.
1: Yeah, because this is, this is a man that had every opportunity to have a really amazing life <laughs> and went out of his way not to um not because he didn't want it but because he craved the excitement of what being a little bit wrong um Mm. got him and so it's just a whole lot of fun to watch
0: excellent good yep well obviously you enjoyed it yeah that's a lot of (laughs) that is a lot in a very short amount of time
1: yes it is yes excellent and now i feel that void because it's gone (laughs) Right, <laughs> like, oh damn! I watched it all. Like, uh, now what? <laughs> I should better see the sunlight now. I guess. <laughs> what year is it?
0: <laughs> Let's go ahead and take a break here and get a, a promo for another podcast. And when we get Woo. back. Uh, we're going to talk about 1954's Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea. 3 Loki,
2: Mace Windu,
0: Dr. Bruce Banner, Captain Rex, Venom, Princess Leia, Jean Grey, Darth Maul, Nick Fury, Grand Moff Tarkin,
2: Captain America,
0: Lando Calrissian,
2: Cyclops. What do all these characters have in common? Well, two of them were played by Samuel L. Jackson.
0: A couple of them were played by Hammer Films veterans Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee.
2: Come on, guys, you know this. Well, of course we do, Jessica. Just like Mickey Mouse and Captain Jack Sparrow, they're all now Disney characters. Hello, I'm Tracy of the Disney Indiana Podcast,
0: and my co-host Scott and I enjoy talking about all aspects of the House of Mouse, and that includes their newest properties, Marvel and LucasArts. We also talk about Disney resorts, the cruise line, theme parks, and whatever else Mickey has to offer which includes movies, Imagineering, video games, and collectibles. You'll never
2: know what we'll decide to talk about.
0: So check us out at www.disneyindiana.com or do a search for the Disney Indiana podcast on iTunes, because now we've got a lot more to talk about.
2: And don't forget about those other quote-unquote Disney
0: characters like, well, Sully, Fozzie Bear, Buzz Lightyear, Link Hogthrob, Doug, Janice,
2: Merida, Pepe, Bruce,
0: Ralph the Dog, Wally, Dr. The Disney Indiana Podcast.
2: Even after five years, we're still miles away from the nearest Main Street, USA. We're not listed on the map, but you can join us at www.disneyindiana.com.
0: So, a brief synopsis in case anyone hasn't already seen this film. Rumors of a sea monster are, running, are ruining the shipping trade in the South Pacific. The United States launches a warship and requests the help of Professor Aranax and his assistant consul, Paul Lucas and Peter Lori, Lur- respectively, to either prove or disprove the existence of this creature. After three months of searching, the ship is ready to call it quits, when they discover another ship in distress. Investigating and searching for survivors, they spot something in the water, which tries to evade them. Firing on this thing, they manage to land a shot, and it turns on them. The professor is thrown overboard, making Consul jump in after him. Also thrown into the water is professional whaler Ned Land, which is Kirk Douglas. The ship limps away, leaving the three men behind. The professor and Consul float through open seas, clinging to a piece of the ship's mass that was dislodged in the fight. In the fog, they happen onto a large, metal submarine boat, which has been left unmanned. While exploring, Ned Land discovers the ship as well, having survived by floating on a capsized longboat. The three realize that this is what has been sinking the ships, not a monster in the conventional sense. They also realize that they do not want to be there when their crew returns. Unfortunately, they are caught when just that occurs. They are taken aboard by the mysterious Captain Nemo, played by James Mason, and the crew of the Nautilus. Neither prisoners nor guests, they are kept aboard and begin a journey of exploration, engage in a battle of wits, and fight for their lives as they travel 20,000 leagues under the sea. Dun, dun, dun.
2: The motion picture screen explodes with unprecedented power, as the two masters of imagination, Jules Verne and Walt Disney, join to bring you a shattering new experience in entertainment. Read by countless millions, translated into 18 languages. This classic adventure is a story of measureless scope, fraught with fantastic beauty and danger. Four great stars give the spark of life to its leading characters in a series of inspirational performances. Kirk Douglas as the master harpooner, Ned Land. Got a whale of a tale to tell you lads A whale of a tale or two About the flattened fish and the girls I've loved On nights like this with the moon above A whale of a tale and it's all true I swear by my tattoo James Mason is Captain Nemo Who held the destiny of the world in his hands The real story of the ocean depths Begins where you left off Wonders my powers of description the secrets that are mine alone Paul Lucas as Professor Aronnax of the Paris Institute I asked you to leave Professor you also asked me ashore to show me man's inhumanity to man why? to justify this you are not only a murderer you are a hypocrite the proof lies out there You call that murder? Peter Lorre as Conceal. Sure, we're friends. Go ahead, hit me. Huh? Hit me. You mean that? Sure, go ahead, you can't miss it. (laughs) 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 Now we're friends. The most vivid scenes from the novel become unforgettable on the screen. The luxurious interior of the submarine. The revelation of the hidden mysteries of the deep. We do our hunting and farming here. Underwater? The sea supplies all my wants. The mighty harvests of the ocean kingdom. And the strange creatures that menace the intruders on the ocean floor. And after a safe return, the memorable dinner party. This is remarkable. This tastes like veal. The flavor deceives you. That is filet of sea snake. Hmm. I guess this isn't lamb. That is brisket of blowfish with sea-squared dressing basted in barnacles. What is it? It's a recipe of my own. Soté of unborn octopus. And to stay in your memory, as the most thrilling sequence ever photographed in motion picture history, the terrifying battle with the giant squid.
0: I am not going to even try to bury the lead on this <laughs> film. I absolutely love this movie. No, you're kidding me. <laughs> oh, my God. I Again, this is you forget how much you love a film sometimes until you rewatch it and you're like, Oh my God, that was excellent!
2: <laughs>
1: yeah, I, I'll admit rewatching that. Um, I hadn't seen that in years, uh, but I totally recall how much I really enjoyed um, every minute of that. Um, I'm in love with the Nautilus. Uh, the acting and the storytelling was amazing. Uh, the the squid I do remember being a lot more <laughs> a lot more less rubbery, scary. <laughs> Than it was uh, on this viewing, but still, um, everything about the movie just kind of hit on all
0: marks. Now, I was a little surprised when I looked at the runtime when I started it. This movie is over two hours long. Yeah. It's almost two hours and ten minutes, like two hours and seven or something like that. And I really expected, like yourself, it has been a long time since I'd watched it. At least, oh, well, maybe, maybe almost a decade. Yeah. And I thought, oh, if I'm going to watch it this time. I'm going to, like, uh, it's going to be unnecessarily two hours long. I bet you I'm going to be able to pick out 30 minutes of this film that doesn't need to be there. I couldn't. Not really. I could maybe pick out where you could cut out maybe 10, maybe those seven minutes that bring it over that two-hour mark. Right. Other than that, there is nothing in this film that I would I would excise.
1: No, if anything... Um... I have moments where I want to add something back. Um, Yeah. uh, I'm not going to detract from this movie at all. It's a lot of fun. It's great uh, uh, effects visually, uh, the acting. Um, Other than Disney's incessant need for throwing in a musical number, whether or not the movie (laughs) requires it. Um, (laughs) Like when Kirk Douglas broke into song on the deck, I'm like, Okay, yeah. yeah, it's a Disney movie. <laughs> but <laughs> It's true. But no, the one thing, the only thing that I can really take away is at one point, and tell me if I miss something. Um, at one point, Nemo is, of course, he's trying to bring the professor completely up to speed on everything about um, how the Nautilus works to why he's there and all that. But at one point... Uh, He mentions that they're on their way back to the island anyway, uh, where they built the ship. Um, Mm -hmm. But he spoke of a mission that he's on, but I don't think he ever elaborated on what exactly that mission was.
0: Uh, Yeah, other than his little mission of vengeance against, you know, the the whatever nation uh, that was running the Rua Pente, uh, the prison colony that was, you know, mining the. uh, what was it salt peter or whatever right uh which he which he and many of his crew had escaped from uh that was his only mission that i know of was just his own form of, of vengeance and revenge because they murdered his wife and son as well and,
1: and that may be uh, I, I just felt like he meant more to it than that because after he sank the ship uh, off of the coast after they it left Rupente, um, like okay, what more? So what's up for the rest of your life?
0: <laughs> well, I mean, this was just one ship. I, I think uh-huh. he was just going to keep doing it. I, I, as almost as maybe his mission, while not expressly uh, stated, was maybe just to get people to stop even trying to sail those seas. Uh, Or stop making war, and definitely don't bring him into this into the maybe pulling the whole you know uh, you know Prince Namor of the ocean kind of thing. (laughs) You know, know, don't bring your problems into into the ocean because this is my domain kind of thing.
1: Yes, uh, and but uh, as he was uh, as he was elucidating on everything with the uh, professor, um, it's clear he wanted a path back. civilization um but was always disheartened by how greedy how violent um generally uh nations and people are so Mm -hmm. so i think he wanted to be a spearhead into the future but had no path back based on his own morality
0: right yeah i think he was looking to aranax to sort of um you know, tell me that I'm wrong. Tell me that people could you know, be better than what I see, well, I think is what he was trying to get from Aranax.
1: And, and that he uh, got out of that first test that allowed him to take them on board in the first place. Uh, mm-hmm. When the professor uh, opted to not stay on board initially uh, because he was going to murder the other two... Uh, right. He opted to go out the door, and that was his inkling that maybe people aren't as bad as I think they are anymore.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, possibly. No, there like you said, there's definitely room that you could expand a little bit with and actually as much as I hate a film getting bogged down with exposition, mm-hmm. maybe this film it it if you wrote it well, I I think it was there to be had. You know, you could have, you could have filled it in a little bit more.
1: Yes. But even that said, I think they made their point. Um, uh,
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: The only part uh, that's, that was a little bit of a letdown is when you just get to the end. Um, uh,
0: And it, and it ends and it just, (laughs) it it, just ends. It just ends.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, neem. Nemo and crew gone ship sunk we're out see ya
0: yeah yep until the mysterious island so
1: <laughs> forgot about that one
0: <laughs> the book of course leaves uh, Nemo's fate a little bit more up in the air so he can come back for mysterious island and uh, I don't know if there there is a film called mysterious island but I'm not sure if Nemo returns or not I don't remember it. I haven't seen it and certainly not seen it in a long time I should say
1: well Sounds like something to revisit at some point. Um, I seem to recall seeing the Nautilus and Nemo in something else.
0: So that okay could well, fair be, enough. It, it could but,
1: be. It, but it has been a really long time,
0: right? So our cast, yeah, I was uh, saying before, we've got um, Kirk Douglas is, of course, you know, kind of the one of the, probably the star of of the film. Uh, does he get top billing?
1: Um he does. Yes.
0: I believe he does. Like we were saying before, uh the 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 recently late Kirk Douglas is just awesome in everything he does. Uh, regardless of the role, he can find a way to really just it, it just he just makes it fun. Uh in this one I I did read that he actually uh requested that the scene with him with the two women in the fr- in the beginning and yeah. the and in the big town brawl was kind of added in uh for his benefit because he wanted to make sure he maintained his uh you know uh big hollywood tough guy get the lady image (laughs) even though it was a disney film
1: uh well disney film and this is a movie devoid of any female presence
0: (laughs) that very good point yeah other than those two women in the beginning
1: (laughs) yeah if they hadn't been there there wouldn't have been a single one
0: He does throw his all in this film, as you would expect him to do. Even learning how to play the guitar, at least well enough to kind of uh, sell it on screen. You know, I, I'm sure there are actual guitar players that might look at him and go, "That's no."
1: <laughs> but he very much got into that that flip around thing during the
0: uh, <laughs> yeah. during the musical. scene. Well, Supposedly, he he came up with that himself. So,
1: <laughs> which is probably why other uh, um,
0: guitar players cringe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I was actually really struck this time watching the film. I, I really enjoyed um, him and Peter Laurie's, Laurie's uh character console their sort of uh, their rapport between the two characters.
1: I really did like.
0: They that. were a lot of fun together.
1: Yes. No. The, um, cuz as much as console wanted to be in um in uh the professor's world there was something that he was far more drawn to by Kirk Douglas's character and mm-hmm. so when they whenever they were together uh uh, they were the class clowns getting in trouble uh, regardless of how yes. how the teacher, um, uh, uh, Captain Nemo, was going to feel about whatever it was that they were doing at the time.
0: Yeah, and that's really what it felt like. It, you just felt like this wasn't just on camera. This just wasn't just on screen chemistry. You kind of get the feeling that these two were really having a ball.
2: <laughs> no, with these ab-
0: characters. No,
1: absolutely. Uh yeah. Well they, they got and that's what I was uh loving about this too and why they stand out in the film when this is supposed to be about the uh the relationship between Nemo and the professor. Um these two stand out um because they are the they are the outside influence in all this. They are the uh Oh God, I'm searching for a term, but that they they are the outlier. They're here to cause angst um, mm-hmm. amongst this rather organized process.
0: Well, and they're also, I think, they're also us. Uh, they're supposed to be our connection to this 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 fantasy world because they are, you know, more of the uh, grounded, real characters. Right. This is this is you and me. This is. Uh, how we would act in this situation kind of thing versus the, Oh, of course I want to learn all about the ship. Uh, Yeah. Okay. Sure. uh, That's not me.
1: (laughs) Yeah. No, they're they're the non-engineer. They're the non-anarchist. They're
0: the
1: the non-intellectual. They're there to be in life.
0: Right. Yes. But there, there are entry into the film, Mm -hmm. into, into this world because the, I mean, the crew of the Nautilus, my god other than uh repeating the orders that nemo uh, none of them have any dialogue did <laughs> they, you notice there's no conversation with them and anyone else or even amongst themselves other than them the yeah you yeah, know i sir a head a head full that's it that
1: uh watching that though and thinking of all of the movies where there have ever been henchmen or or <laughs> Or groupies of some kind, or whatever. Like, where do you find these people? Is there a catalog <laughs> that you get them from? Because the fact, uh, right, right up to the end, uh, um, when by Nemo's orders, they're all gonna die with him because he's dying. Like. Mm-hmm. I, I realize they're not the thrust of this, but that's the part that takes you a little bit out of it. And, like, these people have no sense of self at all.
0: <laughs> they're right, all no. on
1: board with this plan.
0: Yep. They they completely go with them. They know exactly what's happening. As soon as he gives the orders, they recognize what's happening. So they all like, oh, we're with you, Captain. Okay, everyone, go to your room and you know, prepare yourselves because we're gonna sink the ship. Really? Not not one of you? No, no, no <laughs> one's gonna say like. Ah, actually, I'm a, why don't I take these guys? They, I'll take them up onto the skiff, and you know, we'll we'll be fine. Uh, yeah, nothing.
1: Well, and the and, and the Nautilus itself is not in any particular danger at the moment that he is dying. Uh, like,
0: right. We, you yeah, they've escaped all... from the warships.
1: Right, yeah, no, so you, they, how about, Captain, you know what, we're gonna all go to the room, uh, and one of them keeps peeking around the corner, you dead yet? You dead yeah.
0: Yet? <laughs> Oh, yeah, we're, we're totally all gonna die with you, sir. <laughs> uh,
1: oh, good, he's gone. Somebody get to the helm, we're headed to Hawaii. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> time to
1: surface. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, but... Man, wherever you get those folks, I want to know, because somewhere uh, I've got an army brewing, and I just need the
2: bodies.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Now, talking about Nemo, James Mason, I just... Other actors have played Nemo. Uh, This story has been retold since, you know, in TV movies and other films Mm -hmm. and straight to video and, and everything but I don't know if there can be anyone other than James Mason. I know he go, he's not at all like he is in the, in the novel. I mean, I understand that, but as far as visually, as far as movie world goes, God, it's James Mason. You, you talk, you say James Mason, I think Nemo, <laughs> you say Demo, I think James Mason.
1: Well, he, he is such a presence in the role. I mean, um, from the moment he walks on, um, while we're making fun of the henchmen, um, you get the sense of why
0: people will follow this man. Yeah. Uh, oh, absolutely. It was very tempting not to do the whole cast in my in a James Mason impression. Uh, <laughs> man, I, if I could talk like him. Oh, my God. Well, it's how you get to be taken
1: seriously all the time everywhere, yeah. <laughs> even if you're just ordering at McDonald's.
0: I'm not sure how much is just him and how much was the uh, direction, but typically he's very, to pardon the pun, even keeled mm. through the film. You know, he's almost dispassionate to the way he speaks. Yeah. And it just makes it when he's angry, when his, when the passion comes through, when it, whether it's anger or whether it's remorse or, you know, that just makes those scenes that much more powerful where you have to stop and, while listen to what he has to say because he's saying something important here because he's raising his voice or he's saying this in a very, you know, melancholy manner. Uh and it's it's different than everything else that he that he has said. So I'm going to listen to every single syllable.
1: <laughs> no, absolutely because uh well, and the way that he portrayed him um Nemo is a man who has For right or wrong, better or worse, he he has figured the world out and he is set in his definition of how the world works. So, he is remaking the world in the order in which he sees it. So, for the day-to-day, like you said, he's very even-keeled, dispassionate, uh, very matter-of-fact about everything. But, like, when he's describing um, that moment where... um, why he's going to sink this ship, why he's after them, the death of his wife and all that. And that's when his tone changes and there is actual passion in that conversation. Uh, You get the sense of why it is that he's like he is the rest of the time. And Mm -hmm. it it becomes powerful that way.
0: And you get the feeling that that anger is always held in check. Like it's always there. And he holds it all in check, and like you were saying, so he has to keep that even keel, because if he doesn't, you know, no one would want to be... He he would go on a murderous (laughs) rampage or (laughs) something. Yeah, no,
1: everybody on that tin can would die immediately if he actually just let it all go. (laughs) That's it. I'm just... I'm driving it into the bottom of the sea right now! (laughs) (laughs) Peter Lorre, um... I I love him anyways. I love, love his look. I love his voice, his presence. Um, and having seen him and, and, and it's a shame that he's always the, uh, the, the sidekick, the, uh, the, the henchman, um, for the most part. But in this, um, I felt like he stood out quite a bit mm-hmm. more than he does in a lot of his other roles. Um, he, he was more than just that guy on the side. He had, uh, he had presence. Uh, if anything, um, he was probably the practical side of the professor. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the one to actually get him to go in a direction that made sense without, uh, without him exposing himself too badly to some of his more um, uh, wild side. Uh, as right. far as his thinking of uh, creatures in the world and all that. Uh, I was particularly amused during... The whole thing where all the uh, the journalists are all uh, interviewing the professor. And, oh, yes. And, and he is doing everything in his power to steer not only the professor away, but to get in front of the journalist to go, just shut that up was- and go away.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't quote so him. So you're on saying that. The, the professor didn't say that?
1: No, the professor <laughs> yeah. didn't. No, it was just, it was kind oh, of.
0: Oh, I wouldn't say that. Are you sure you wouldn't say that? <laughs>
1: <laughs> it was just that. It was like, even though this man is the intellect, he's really the brain that is keeping this guy together.
0: <laughs> yeah. Peter Laurie's character, Console, definitely has a little bit more of the street smarts that go along with his actual book smarts. Yes. He's, well, the, the, he's got the, like, the, the balance between the two, where where Aranax is strictly everything is, you know, it, this is what he's learned. He, he is, it's just, if it's not in the book, if he's not writing it in, in a book, or if it's not under a microscope, he doesn't really understand it. Yeah. He doesn't understand people whereas yeah peter laurie's characters he he knows what's going on he knows what's going to happen he knew exactly what was going to happen with those journalists and
1: yes exactly (laughs) particularly interesting when the uh the picture of the flying dragon showed up (laughs) supposedly as the uh description of the professor himself i'm like no along with that uh I'm really amused by that one scene where they got to go for their very first, um, bottom of the ocean walk and, Mm -hmm. and they, they come across the wreck of a ship and just he and land decide, "Ah, you know, let's go check it out. Let's let's screw all of this. Yeah. Why not? There's gotta be treasure in there and they're totally all over (laughs) that. Yes. And then when they get back, um, as they're being admonished for it and it's like, as Nemo's pointing out that this is not important, I have all the treasures I could ever (laughs) need and and it doesn't matter to to any of us Um, but... We use it as ballast (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and but peter Lorre's character console is just uh he, he he's even trying to weasel out of uh the the decision i just i just followed him i was there for scientific investigation <laughs> like that that i was just cracking up uh watching that scene the
0: two the two of them land and console when they're together they're a little bit like um watching two kids in the schoolyard yes uh you know, you you got Land, who's like maybe like the 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 playground bully a little <laughs> bit, but Consoles like the one that has found a way to like sort of get in under his wing. <laughs>
1: you know? So you're describing the kids from the uh, A Christmas Story movie, <laughs> maybe <laughs> e- even by height. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's, well, it's the way they act. They 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 act like they're they end up just being like they're like just playmates. They you are. know. Uh even like uh when uh, at one point when uh Land, you know, gives him a little uh console, a little sock in the jaw, you know, that's oh, for yeah. turning me in or whatever it was. And he's rubbing his I thought we were friends.
1: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and then Land offering up, we are friends, hit me.
0: <laughs> yeah, I love I love him. I was like, go ahead, right there on the chin. Come on, you can't miss it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: like you could miss Kirk Douglas's chin.
0: <laughs> yes, I. There are there are a few lines like that where I have to think that was maybe not in the script.
1: <laughs> no, but uh, but once it was said, you couldn't
0: not leave it in. <laughs> exactly.
1: Oh, that was, no. That the, the two of them were just amazing watching together. It, it, it was almost its own little uh, like Laurel and Hardy, Abbott and Costello kind of moments. Um, yeah, the. Uh, the scenes on the island when Nemo has completely laid out what is going to happen and why they should stay on the beach. And Lan refuses to believe that. And as soon as they get there and Lan tries to make his escape and wouldn't you know it, there's cannibals. There are cannibals, yeah. And they're charging. <laughs> and, <laughs> and console's already getting away.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Wait for me. Great little uh, moment when uh, Land makes it back to the boat. Kirk Douglas goes to row, and uh, the the ship or the little skiff is supposed to be made out of metal. Yes, well, the actual skiff was made out of wood, painted to be metal, and they would put uh, weights in it to so it would stay lower in the water to give it the look of of weight. Yeah. Well, in that particular scene, they didn't have the weights in it because I guess probably because it was so so shallow there, they'd be scraping the bottom or whatever. So when Kirk Douglas gets in there and tries to row, the boat is is higher than he was expecting. And so when he goes to dig into the water with the oars, there's nothing there. And he flips backwards. You see his fleet go up in the air. That was actually all accident. <laughs> but the, the director, uh, uh, Richard Fleischer, just thought it was so great he left it all in.
1: Well, yeah, in a panicked moment, why wouldn't something like that happen? So why not? Exactly. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, I think it's fantastic, and we haven't even mentioned the, the director Richard Fleischer. I mean, there are th- that's the sign of a good director is when you can find something that that wasn't supposed to happen, that line wasn't supposed to be said, but I'll be damned, that works. <laughs> <laughs> and, you, and you know, and you know to keep it absolutely. You know, you you know to let that go, or you know to let that actor. You know, a, a good director, I think, can kind of keep his crew in check, but you 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 get to know the ones that all right. He can embellish a little bit because I know he's going to give me gold. You, on the other hand, you know, <laughs> let's stick to the script kind of thing. And I really feel like Fleischer kind of had that gift of knowing when it was right to, like, linger for a little bit on somebody. Um, when it was right to leave a, a what would have or could have been a, you know, cut, do it again, you know, moment. Um And he 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 knew and he did a really remarkable job.
1: Yeah. And uh, I I think he got that from uh, like like from Mason and from Douglas uh, looking for those opportunities to get that little something extra um, that may not have been scripted, but uh, but is such a good moment that you can't not have it.
0: It's interesting, I think, too. He was um, the son of Max Fleischer, who was, like, one of Disney's biggest rivals at the time in the animation business. Oh, and dis Yeah, and Disney hired him, and he actually, you know, went to Disney. Like, he sent, like, a letter to him, like, you know who I am, right? <laughs> <laughs> and Disney was like, yeah, but I think you're the right man for the job. <laughs> And apparently, Max Fleischer actually even wrote the Disney and said, "I think you hired the right man. You d- you couldn't have picked a better director." Because <laughs> uh, Richard went to his dad was like, "Are you okay? M- me working for this other? You working for this guy?" And he's like, "He couldn't have picked a better guy." So that was a nice little uh, honor among thieves, maybe. <laughs> well, you
1: know, they all uh, there there are tons of stories where uh, uh, where the various Hollywood. Uh, participants uh, they because one is in one venue there leaves opportunities in another and uh, there's dozens and dozens of those stories that's a fun one though
0: i think it's interesting too richard fleischer you know he directs this this disney film this this amazing adventure tale and everything and some of his other filmography it's kind of like wow that's interesting you don't expect the same director he's a very talented and eclectic director I mean he would go on to direct Red Sonia, Conan the Barbarian Amityville 3D <laughs> uh, Soylent Green in 1973 uh, all very different kind of tales you could kind of see where maybe like Conan the Barbarian and Red Sonia. okay those are both the adventure flicks but when you get sure. into something like Soylent Green yeah. like wow that's Really different. uh He's almost a little bit like I uh, always think about. Uh, what's his name? uh Robert Wise. You were just talking Star Trek: The Motion Picture. Mm-hmm. You know, uh the guy that does Sound and Music and West Side Story, and then he does The Haunting and Star Trek: The Motion Picture. And you're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> what?
1: Well, several of these things are not
0: like the other. <laughs> exactly.
1: But yeah, you know, I mean, then testament to who? Oh. Well, I didn't even realize uh, he was responsible for a Fantastic Voyage as well.
0: Oh, interesting! Yeah, I have my own thoughts on that one. Maybe we'll we'll get into that later. <laughs> Another <laughs> date.
1: Uh, while you mentioned at least uh, Star Trek one more time, and since we brought it up at the beginning, I can't not mention the fact that Rupente, the fictional prison colony. Um, of this movie is actually the name of the uh, prison colony that they use in Star Trek VI, Undiscovered Country. I just so love that. Uh, in fact, I hadn't seen 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea so, for so long that I had forgotten that that's what that was called. And as soon as he said it, I instantly hit the internet. Did he just say what he said? Is that is that the same thing? Uh, like oh my god! I couldn't believe there was that uh, that uh, that Star Trek. I actually plucked that from uh, Twenty Thousand Leagues.
0: Yep, nice little nice little homage there. Yeah,
1: very very. I enjoyed that rather thoroughly. A little more than yes. I probably should have.
0: <laughs> now the only uh, one we haven't actually talked about. We've talked about the character. But we haven't talked much about the actor himself as uh, Professor Aranax, Yes. Uh, played by Paul Lucas, who was an often. Off and on again, actor. Apparently, he did not do a whole heck of a lot. He would kind of act for a little bit, and kind of go away for a little bit, act for a little bit. He was maybe, if you had to pick a, a weak spot, I think maybe that would be him in this film. And not that, 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 not that he's saying that I'm saying that he's bad or that he brings the film down, but he's sort of the yeah. You could replace him with a lot of different people. Everyone else, I think, you, there's no way you could replace them. No. He, he was the one Is like, yeah, you, he could have been anybody.
1: <clears throat> and and he could have been anybody, because uh, you just needed to have a reason for Nemo to talk. Um, yeah. It, he could have had almost no lines, and it wouldn't have made a bit of a difference, because Nemo just needed that one person to latch onto that he would impart his entire tale to. While, like you say, he didn't do a bad job or anything, it's just that was the job to be done, which was be present and listen. Mm -hmm. That's it. That was his entire role. I don't remember enough of the actual Jules Verne book to even know if such a character existed in that.
0: Yeah, unfortunately, I'm almost positive that I've read it at some time in my youth. Right. But my youth was unfortunately quite some time ago. <laughs> so it is definitely, it's definitely a novel I need to, uh, to uh, look Re- up again and and reread. I, I really desperately need to go back and reread some of the classics, you know, some of the, you, the Jules Verne's and the HG Wells again.
1: Absolutely. Especially since whether they are by direct name, like 20,000 leagues or by any other means, there's such an influence on all of the things that uh, we tend to enjoy and watch.
0: Oh, absolutely. First real atomic submarine, they named the Nautilus. Yes. In honor of, you know, the the, the, the apparently atomic submarine in the Nautilus here. Mm-hmm. I thought that was all the way back to the book, but apparently it was not. Apparently from the description in the book, it was more like an electric power cell. It was not atomic powered. Right. Like, oh, interesting. So the very first atomic submarine was actually named after this films atomic submarine. Right. Uh, <laughs> like, we, oh, very cool. We,
1: which they were very clever in um the the description of the uh, engine was or at least the power source for the engine was uh was that he had, Nemo had just managed to capture the power of the universe. They, mm-hmm. they didn't go into too much more in-depth because, uh, well, this was supposed to be the 19th century.
0: <laughs> exactly, yes. Keep it vague.
1: Yeah, we don't want to really uh, elucidate that on Nemo had managed to figure out fusion energy.
0: Well, and you got to think, you know, Atomic Power was only about a decade old at the time of this film.
1: Absolutely. Totally a so, mystery. I mean, it's what drove, drove most of the movies of that era
0: Exactly. So they, the writers, when they came down to it, oh, let's make it atomic power. Okay, how should we describe it? Um, I have no idea. Power of the universe. Yep. Sounds good. <laughs> make, it, make it bright and um, no one can look directly at it. Great. Got it.
1: <laughs> well, and uh, for the day, I'm sure uh, when Jules Verne was penning this thing to begin with, uh, uh, electricity was the monster juggernaut of
0: the day. <laughs> Yeah, uh, exactly. Good point. So we got to talk about the award-winning, literally award-winning special effects here. Yeah, there is no doubt. I felt sorry for any other film that came out this year that was nominated for an Academy Award because there's no way in hell anything else was going to win.
1: Even doing a little reading in there, uh, they went to impressive lengths. Like I was noting, just even the, the throwaway stuff. Uh, I was trying to find out if they actually had stock footage that they, uh, like undersea stock footage that they wanted to, that they managed to integrate. And I actually found out that, uh, the U S Navy helped participate in shooting the film, mm-hmm. uh, just to capture a good hunk of the underwater work stuff. So other than some of the obvious things like the rubber squid and, um, the notion of scale of explosions. It's clear when you're blowing up a, a fake model ship and they're using firecrackers to do it. Um, th- those parts were not the state of the art of today. But a lot of what was in the film, I'd even put up against now. I mean,
0: no, absolutely. Yeah.
1: I mean, if you're shooting something that's supposed to look like it w- took place during the 19th century. Um, the Nautilus, uh, the interiors of the Nautilus, the the um, level of detail and technology that they put into how that did, what it did, um, and then all of the underwater shooting and the suits, the scuba suits that they were using
0: were amazing. Yo, absolutely. No, they were fantastic. I mean, and honestly, they were almost ahead of their time for 1954. Yes, no, Absolutely. I mean there's they're still running around using like the, the like the, the the iron suits with the, the diving bell helmets were still in use by deep sea divers. <laughs> no,
1: absolutely at this time. Uh I couldn't help but while I was looking up a few things and, and watching the movie, um drawing a comparison to something more current like uh with the abyss, the mm-hmm. amount of um actually New technology they put into making the abyss, so you had to look so you could see the actors' faces underwater and such um, right well, they did it back in nineteen fifty four
0: well right
1: fifty three when they probably made the thing, but
0: <laughs> yeah, I was unsure there are moments, especially when you actually see like the actors' faces through the masks. Were they really underwater? I don't know. That I'm guessing a lot of that could have been done just through, we'll shoot the camera through a tank right. and uh, whatever. But they still had, you know, actual actors underwater doing the scuba diving in these suits that actually worked. <laughs> um, you know, maybe they weren't Kirk Douglas. Maybe they weren't Peter Lorre. But they were real people.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, they were there were real people. Yeah, the the view through the the, the porthole on the, uh, the the on the helmet, I I got a gl- uh, a glimpse that uh, that wasn't necessarily those actors, but the, the the setup itself was just amazing, and that um yeah the level of detail the uh, the amount of effort to put into making something this that looked like this, that was supposed to still represent somewhere in the 19th century was just amazing.
0: You mentioned the, uh, the rubber squid. (laughs) And yes, I mean, now you, you sit back and you watch this film and obviously, you know, it's a, it's not a real giant squid. It's a big fake squid and everything, but it is a rubber squid. It's actual, a physical that was there on the set, interacting with the actors and using, you know, wind machines and, and rain machines and wave machines, all practical effects. That was all happening in camera at the time. No computer graphics, no animation. That's astounding.
1: It is. And actually, the funny thing is the the effect that doesn't, uh, that I, I came off as cheesy for me was just the the miniatures, when you see the full body uh, squid coming at the Nautilus, but like mm-hmm. the particularly the tentacle arm that came inside the Nautilus, and and, and the look and the feel and the, its physical presence, while a, a, a little goofy just from the way that it moved and all that, still very impressive looking. Uh, oh, absolutely. And The sheer scale of that thing and the, the way they animated it, it just through the the various puppetry techniques that they did, that was just...
0: Awesome. I was impressed with the uh, the beak that would actually, you know, come out and snap, snap, and then you retract into the body. Yeah. Like, that's just a little level of, of detail that you didn't need to do, I mean, but it's there, and it just makes it that much better.
1: And it, it just put... It, it makes it just a little bit scarier while you're, you're doing it too. It's mm-hmm. just, yeah. I remember that. I even remembered that part from when I was a kid watching this thing. So that's oh, how much that sticks with you.
0: Yes. Yeah. I couldn't help but think while I was watching this film this time, and there's been talk of remaking the film in modern times in modern day, I should say. Um, I think fortunately nothing's come of it. Right. Uh, I would be disappointed, I think, with any remake of this film. There's, you know, you you talk about uh, Nemo, who explains that he escaped from this this prison colony, and and you know they killed my my wife and my son. I'm, and I'm watching. I'm thinking, if they remade this, we would probably see flashbacks nightmares or something of his time in Ruopente. We would see his his wife being tortured. They would make a point to have a a shot of him with his shirt off, and we'd see scars on his back from a whip, you know, from whipping or something like that. Or, uh, and then, of course, you know, uh, attack from a giant squid would all be animated with with computer graphics. Yeah. And and it's like, yeah, it just wouldn't hold the same fascination for me.
1: No. And and honestly, there are times um, Sure, you can revisit things from time to time But there are certain films that just They got it right They -hmm. got it right the first time There's there's more than a few that we could probably run down And you've probably discussed it in previous things before as well But uh, yeah, this is one of those It's just perfect the way it is
0: don't. Yep, absolutely. I could put this in at any time and watch it again, all two hours and seven minutes of it, and not be disappointed <laughs> with a single minute No, and fact, not feel like I've wasted my time.
1: Yeah, you you mentioned the, the runtime before. I, I really genuinely thought when I was sitting down to this, I'm like, oh, this is a Disney film from the 1950s. This is going to be, what, 80, 90 minutes long?
0: Yeah, hour 20, yeah.
1: Yeah, and I'm like, holy crap. <laughs> and And... <laughs> again like you said there's not a moment that that's wasted it 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 was it was amazing to watch from beginning to end and you can't say that of every film from that era or any other for that matter so the fact that you can stay in this story that entire time given its age even and it doesn't it doesn't falter
0: you always hesitate to use the word perfect but I honestly think it's probably one of the films that comes as close to being a perfect film as as you can get.
1: I, I dare, I, I probably wouldn't go as far as perfect, but yet yeah, there's nothing about it that I would change. Let, let, let's put, put it in that those kind of terms. I'm mean, like, there's no, there's no remake, there's no change in dialogue, change in acting, change in anything that doesn't that would make it any better than it is and it's just so much fun just as it is why take away the memory of what that is and I mean I've even drawn into the fact that uh, watching this again I had actually forgotten that I had been on the Nautilus at Disney World at one point mm-hmm. and, and remembering <laughs> yeah. how yeah, much too. I how much I loved that when I did it too because that would have been the 80s at the time when I did that Um and that, well, and you know me—I get drawn into the, the the physical ships and all that. And that thing sure. is just beautiful.
0: Oh, uh, it's it's one of the most beautiful, most iconic, most just incredible designs that has ever been. I mean, it's just—it's—it just, is just a thing of beauty.
1: It really is, and you get why those that were at sea would have referred to it as a monster. Mm -hmm. Um, you, you really understand given the way that Nemo was using it, how even some of it's designed. I mean, there's essentially a giant saw on the front end of this thing. (laughs) Yes. Not that it's made to look like that. It looks like it's physically part of an organic thing, but that is there for purpose. (laughs) And he uses it to that purpose.
0: (laughs) Here there be dragons, yes.
1: (laughs) Yes, and that thing is deadly.
0: I went to Disney in the 70s when I was very young. I have almost zero memories of it (laughs) other than... I remember going on like, you know, Captain Nemo's undersea adventure ride yeah. or something like that. I remember looking out a portal and seeing some, you know, seahorse statuary or something as you as you as you go by it. I mean, that's one of the few memories I have of a visit was that.
1: <laughs> yes. Uh, to that same effect. Yeah, I, I went in early 80s with my family and from the whole trip. Uh, I mean, it was even post uh, um, Epcot going in and all that, mm-hmm. um, and as much as I remember doing some of those things, one of the things that stood out is seeing the Nautilus and being able to get on it. That was yeah. just, that was
0: awesome. See, unfortunately, I don't remember that. I just remember being on the ride. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, the, ri- uh, the ride I remember is not being all that impressive. I just remember walking up to the ship and going. <sighs> I get to go on the Nautilus.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't even think I'm, I don't even think there's that many photos that exist from that trip or anything either. We, <laughs> probably couldn't afford the camera. They, we, they probably had to sell it, in order, so we could go to Disney. <laughs> yeah,
1: probably. <laughs> you still kind of have to to go to Disney. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Except now you got to sell like your car or your house. <laughs>
0: Well, I can't think of anything else to say about uh, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea other than if for some reason you've never seen this film, go watch it. If you haven't seen it in a while, go watch it. Uh, <laughs> if you remember not liking it as a kid or something, go watch it. <laughs> go watch it is all I can I, I can think to say about it.
1: Yeah, no, I, absolutely. You got to see this film and you have to see it too just from the perspective of this feeds so many other things, whether you realize it or not. I mean, all of the undersea adventures that came after that are all rooted back to this. Any story of the uh, the man that uh, mm-hmm. has become disillusioned with the world and has set out to make something new feeds off of... A storyline like this so mm-hmm. you have to watch this to understand where the rest came from
0: absolutely incredibly influential and just uh this is a film that i think will be with us for eternity as long as there are people watching moving images on a screen uh i think this film has to exist yes and will exist absolutely Okay, then. I don't think there's anything else we can say other than we'll we'll just start repeating ourselves. Um, so I think we'll leave it at that. I want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, I did throw out a question on the Facebook group and on Twitter. Uh, Tom and I are looking for what you think are some of the scariest creatures that have been in film and television. Uh, genre does not matter. It can be, you know, horror, science fiction, fantasy, you know, Whatever. We've already gotten a few responses on Twitter, but I'd like to get a few more and definitely want to get some people's input on the, on the Facebook group. Uh, so please go by and, and let us know. Or if you just want to email us, you can do that, too. Just send it to timeshifterspodcast at gmail.com. Um, there's a voicemail uh, line that you can call, to, but damned if I can remember the phone number, I'm really going to have to, like, stick it on a piece of tape or something on the on the computer. <laughs> I I I think I have it on the website. Go to timeshifterspodcast.com. I think it might be on, on the contact page. Uh but yeah, let us know. I uh, we we're kind of inspired by an article that was uh, published uh about a month ago now, I guess. Yeah. And it was like the scariest sci-fi creatures, I think it was, or creatures in sci-fi. And there was a interesting list, to say the least.
1: It 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 offended me out of the gate when it listed Ferengis. <laughs> <laughs> like, what are you defining as scary? Uh, maybe I didn't read it close enough to find out. Maybe they were just worried that they were coming for their wallet. <laughs> yeah,
0: maybe I, I was thinking maybe in the in today's Me Too world, uh, the misogyny of the Ferengi was probably scary enough to warrant them being on the, on the list.
1: Fair point. You know, yeah, if you're a woman, I wouldn't want a Ferengi coming at me either.
0: <laughs> yeah, Exactly. So any thoughts on that, please send them our way, Twitter, Facebook, or email, like I said. So that's going to do it. Thank you very much for listening, Tom. Thanks for joining me today. It was a lot of fun.
1: Always a pleasure,
0: sir. So we will talk to everybody in a couple weeks. Bye, everybody.